Hi everyone, happy Wednesday. I have a special offering today, a conversation with author June Gervais. I first met June when she was doing a reading of her novel at Akimbo Bookstore in Rochester, New York, and I immediately knew I had to interview her. There was so much I wanted to know about her life and work, and she was really generous about sharing her process and journey with us. She's a published author, she's an essayist, she's a mother, and she has this beautiful effervescent personality and energy about her that I know you're gonna fall in love with. Just a reminder that if you're a regular listener of the process and you know what's coming, you know how magical these episodes are, please share this episode with a friend or family member I've discovered that word of mouth is pretty much the best way to get this podcast out there in the world because people, you know, people trust you. They trust your judgment. And if you think it's great and you think that they'll think it's great, they're much more likely to give it a listen. So please share it. I would really appreciate it. All right, here we go into my conversation with June Gervais. Right now, what has been bringing you little moments of joy throughout your day? The pleasure of figuring out what rest means. Again, mm-hmm. it's been a long time since I could do anything restfully, slowly, inefficiently. Jobs for Girls with Artistic Flair, it's sold to Viking Penguin during the pandemic in July of 2020. At that time, my kids were home from school. They were home for 77 weeks. And when school started up again, I was also, I had a pod with another family that we were very close with. So every other day I had four kids here who were either distance learning or homeschooling the four of them. And that was the conditions (laughs) I was rewriting my novel in, (laughs) that I was overhauling it. And as part of the book selling, you know, I had agreed to cut a hundred pages and restructure and overhaul. So I was juggling this like massive overhaul of a work I'd been laboring over for many, many years while having four children underfoot and being very tired and being a teacher, which I had never been for small children before. Um, And I didn't have the luxury of being inefficient or dreamy or wandering. So if my husband was able to take a day off from work to take kid duty, I would write for 16 hours straight. Sometimes I would edit for 16 hours straight, which is a ridiculous way to work. That is for, for, (laughs) I mean, maybe on a good day, you could like garden or something for 16, but to write for 16 hours straight is stupid. Your brain just gets like Play-Doh, but I didn't have any other choice. When you're a mom, (laughs) everything is worked into little bits. I don't even really watch TV. So I've cut a lot of extras out of my life, but still I don't remember what it's like to be able to just do something in there's parts of creativity that just have a dreamy wandery quality where you let Mm -hmm. your mind go and you're not a factory and you are just open to ideas and you can follow things and you can afford for them to be dead ends sometimes um and I couldn't I couldn't I felt like I couldn't afford to make mistakes so Mm. something that is a joy right now, but also weirdly uncomfortable and a little unsettling is allowing myself to be like, what gives me pleasure outside of what is useful, needs to be done, is on a list, has to be done very efficiently. Like for example, right now I'm one of the questions on your list was like, what are you excited about right now? Yeah. And I was having a hard time figuring out 
what am I excited? What now that my book is in the world, that's been my goal for all these years. Yeah. What I have another idea for a book. I have, but I have a strange sort of aimlessness. So my mm. husband was trying to help me figure out what I was like, I don't, I don't know what rest means. I don't know how to do this. And he's like, do you want to do an art project? Do you want to do this? No, no, no. And he said, do you want to yeah. learn something? And as soon as he said, do you want to learn something? I was like, I want to learn the Georgian alphabet. <gasps> um, <laughs> oh, that is so random. I love it. <laughs> because oh. my best friend, Sopo, she and her husband are from the country of Georgia. She and I have been friends for some years. I'm fascinated with their culture. I just, I love this family. I love my friend. I have fallen in love with their food and the the music of Georgia and their alphabet particularly fascinates me. Before the pandemic and before the book sold, I had begun to learn the alphabet. I don't know why, it just excites me. So yeah. I've started doing that again. So that's bringing me joy. <laughs> I love that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's so important though, too, is like, because you're living this life, which is who knows what the point of that is, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so like, might as well find things that excite you and bring you joy. And that's so cool that you're actively trying to do that. That really yeah. makes a huge difference. You know, we often start as children creating because we like to, because, you know, dogs chase squirrels and wolves make tunnels and we make stuff. You know, we begin to realize, oh, this is something that some people specialize in and mm -hmm. that you can do. And sometimes you can get, you find yourself being praised for it. I was thinking back to how did I become, yeah. you know, a writer? Mm -hmm. And I think the first thing I ever wanted to be was an artist because I love making art. And then I discovered books and I was an obsessive reader and I started making little books. And mm -hmm. my parents and, you know, a couple of teachers I had were like, you're going to be a writer. Like you are going to have a book in this library one day. And wow. I agreed with them. I think I just believed them and yeah, did. Yeah. And on the one hand, that's wonderful because like writing has brought me great joy, you know, but I'm remembering like, that is so interesting that I was like, oh, well, they, they said I am this and like, here I am then over time. So it can become kind of goal oriented, you know? So I set myself right. a goal sort of like, all right, I'm a writer. Therefore, like, I want to publish a book one day. And that's like, I made this commitment to myself. All this just to say as artists, we can get very, you know, goal oriented. I want to have a book in the world. I want to have a gallery show. I want to have an album. I want to have whatever it is. And if we skip over, we, we, first of all, we can't skip over the process, but truly right. the process is most of it. Like it's, all, it's almost the, all of it. It's almost all of it because like, all right, yeah. my book launched this year. Right. Mm -hmm, and there's mm -hmm. like, you know, little, definitely exciting milestones on the way. You see the cover, you see the audio, hear the audiobook narrator, like all of that is super cool. Wait, there's you, an audiobook? Um, I didn't even know oh, this. Yeah. Oh yeah, my there's gosh. There's an audiobook. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. The okay. Narrators, she's wonderful. She's really great. Oh my great. gosh. Okay. Everyone Jessie listening Blansky. can listen to the audiobook. Yeah. Of Jobs for Girls with Artistic Flair. Okay, continue. <laughs> <laughs> so like, you know, and just before it comes out, there's a little flurry of publicity. You know, right. this summer was fun. I did a little book tour. It's amazing to hear from readers. Like, it's very gratifying to hear from people who are like, this resonated with me, or I cried, or I laughed out loud, or whatever yeah. it is. All of that is wonderful. Right. But if you look at the huge, if you were to make a timeline, there's a little <laughs> blip of a moment when that book <laughs> launched right and right. then there's 20 years before <laughs> right. that from where where that I was working on it crying over it obsessing over it writing 20 drafts yeah doing all the the process and 
yeah, I, I think it's great that you're exploring the process because the truth is that is like, that is it. That's where the life is, yeah. whether or not you reach the outcome. Even if you yeah. do reach the outcome, the bulk of it was still the process. Right. Oh my gosh. But I love that whether or not you reach the outcome. Oof. And I'm I think that's, about that. yeah. that's in the novel too. So the book, this yeah, it's called Jobs for Girls with Artistic Flair. It's the story of a young queer woman in 1980s blue collar Long Island who wants to become a tattoo artist. And at that time, tattooing was very much this gritty subculture on the fringes of society, not mainstream. People were not paying $300 an hour for a tattoo. (laughs) And there were not a lot of women in the field. So my character has this uphill battle of persevering to do this thing that is what she sees as the best career option for her. She doesn't have a lot of money. She can't go to college. This is what she feels like is available. So it's a coming of age story. It's a queer love story. It's a brother sister relationship story. It's, it, you know, it has, it's about purpose and meaning and vocation. And, and a lot of the things that you think about when you're 18 and all throughout your life, when Mm -hmm. Gina basically says to herself, like she had this vision that she was going to like go to tattoo conventions with her tattoo artist, older brother. And like, they were going to win trophies together. And she gets to a point where she's like, but what if, what if I don't, you know, win trophies or what if it's not about trophies? Like, why am I making art? Can I do this for the pleasure of the thing itself and also making a living and buying groceries, of course, but. Right. Yeah. How do you think about and engage with the creative process? So I think it is just part of who I am. It's like, you know, dogs chase squirrels and moles make tunnels. And I like sing songs and doodle things and make up stories and crack jokes like (laughs) (laughs) and make chalk art and fiddle with stuff. And like, I don't know, like I'm always, that's just what I do. That's what I've always done. I think art was sort of my family's religion growing up. Mm. You know, like we didn't go to church. We didn't go to temple. We didn't have uh, an organized religion. I think art was our religion. It was just part of who I was and how I grew up. So it feels natural to me. But in terms of making a larger work, because I can make little fiddly things all day long. And during the times in my life when, for example, I was working you know, a full-time job and like had very small children and was starving for time to do do like deep creative work like starving for Mm. three quiet hours to write something on this novel and I couldn't always get it I'm always still gonna have some outlet somewhere and be making up stories for them or drawing things but I think if I want to make something deeper then I've come to practices that have created the space to do something more than a chalk drawing or a silly Mm. song or, or whatever. Yeah. So for me, the creative process is, I think a very small and specific set of disciplines that create the space for me to do work that goes deeper. Wow. Okay. Can we get into what they are? Yes. Okay. (laughs) This is, this is so helpful. Yeah. Okay. So disciplines that create the space. Yeah. Ideally, what I like to do, and again, this luxury has not always been possible depending on how much work I'm doing and what my kids need and whatever. But ideally, if I can take a walk, like I like to take a brisk walk first, breathe, clear my head, just be outside of nature, come inside, make a cup of coffee and a glass of ice water and a light a candle and I sit at my desk. 
Mm-hmm. And that sort of is the opening of the ritual, you know? Yeah. Um, and when I'm working on a writing project, specifically working on a no- on this novel, I keep a, what's called a, a process journal. And another writer taught me about this a long time ago, and it's been enormously useful. And it's basically a journal I keep specifically for the writing process where I sit down and it's the first thing I do. And I kind of start with like, kind of say a little prayer of like, thanks. Just, I give thanks that I have this time at all, that I have some quiet. I give thanks for like the presence or like the spirit that I believe is, you know, with me and, and here not to get like weirdly super spiritual, but like, you know, and then I think about, okay, what am I going to do today? Mm-hmm. And I write down like, what is my goal for that day? Is it just to get to the end of this chapter? Is it to go through a specific chapter and revise it with more uh, description in mind or with trimming down the dialogue to the bare essentials? Is it to look at this outline and figure out where the dramatic tension is? Like, is it just to write a new draft of a thing? Like, what's mm. what am I hoping to do today? If I don't feel like writing, I will write in the process journal. I do not feel like writing today. I am, <laughs> I am, I am hormonal and and hungry and <laughs> tired, and I'm getting a cold. I don't feel like it, and I have nothing to say. And I just feel like this is so stupid. And who needs one more book by like, you know, the likes of me in the world or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm, but I'll just mm-hmm. write it down and acknowledge it, and it. You know what? It, yeah. it doesn't get to kick me off the desk for the day, but I ha- I put it down. Yeah. Um, if I don't know what to do and I'm confused and I'm like, I have a goal. I haven't, this is big and overwhelming. I will write down mm-hmm. in my journal the sentence, what is my one next step? And I am astonished at the power of articulating a question in writing, just writing it down. Often an answer will come to my mind. Um, so and cool. like one next step will pop into my mind and I'll say, all right that's that and I'll do that and then I'll ask for the one after that Hmm. and then just try to I try to keep that space focused I again in an ideal world when it's not a pandemic and I'm not having to write for 16 hours in a row or squeeze in 10 minutes while the kids are screaming or whatever Uh ideally I do all that I have about a three hour chunk of writing Uh that seems to be about the amount of time that my brain can be productive before it starts to like the go-kart is running out of gas and <laughs> then go eat something <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then take the afternoon usually for more outward facing work. So, hmm. you know, answering emails or my best creative mind is definitely in the morning. That's when I'm clearest. I have the best energy. Like the afternoon is good for sort of the administrative tasks or if I have to write a blog entry or do social media stuff or whatever. So that's my ideal schedule right there. That. Oh my gosh. Thank you for articulating that. I think often in interviews and just in public on social media, we don't get to hear about that. So it's really helpful unless you write a memoir or something (laughs) like we got (laughs) to wait till the memoir comes out to, to hear about your, your ritual for writing. So I really appreciate that. And that's what you're really keyed into, right? I mean, you're interested in the process. Like, so yeah. So tell me a little about that. Like, tell me what, (laughs) What is it that you are like so captivated? Why are you wanting to delve into the creative process? Because I find it fascinating too, but tell me about that. Ooh, okay. Tables have turned. Okay, so, well, first of all, just like the bare minimum answer to this question is that I am an artist myself 
And I am searching for what works for me. So part of the simplest answer to this question is just like, I am gathering information for myself. Mm. And then the kind of larger circle answer to this question is that one of the things that I'm most fascinated with, probably more than creativity, is the art of being Mm. just in general. Like, yeah, it sounds a bit heavy handed to say it like that, but I think no, that's what, that's the only way to say it. I just feel like part of why I'm here is to dig into that a yeah. lot. I also feel like I'm kind of, oh man, I put so much pressure on myself, like every second of every day to like, yeah, be something or do something or do something right Yeah. And I'm trying to pull back from that and just say, like, just being is enough, which you ended the book with that, which is so cool. It is. That's that's why it's crazy that you're talking about. I know. I know. That's (laughs) why I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, Yeah. So, like, just trying to figure out, like, how to experience the feeling of being enough just by being. And that's part of why, like, talking about the creative process with with all of the creative yeah. people is so important to me because I feel like we are especially tuned in to, to that. We yeah. have to be, otherwise we're just, I don't know, creating supermarket jingles or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. I, don't I know. think you're really on to the right track. <laughs> I really, I, I think this is a beautiful quest. It's a beautiful exploration. Um, I completely resonate with the pressure mm. to be like, am I doing it right Am I doing this well with oh anything? I Dude, when the pandemic began, <laughs> I just kept thinking, I'm doing this wrong. I'm doing it. My friend, was like, my friend is like, what are you talking about? You can't do a pandemic wrong. Right, right. It's not been done. And I'm like, I should be, I don't know, doing more enriching things with my children. And like, I should be like yeah. more. And they're like, no, there is no playbook for how you should be doing this other than stay alive. There's like, no playbook. And yeah. Right. And like the thing about living is that, there is no point to it, it seems like. It's just, we're all just, like, wandering around, living. <laughs> yeah. Right. I know. I I, yeah. I, I also yeah. think about this a lot. I love that you think about this. Um, and yeah. I, you can probably see that my book is a little bit steeped in this question, too. Yes. Like, <laughs> that's, why, that's part of why I connected with it so much. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, really... I'm re-asking myself this question, for sure. Yes. What is your origin story with art? Honestly, it's just the origin story of me. I don't, Mm. I, I, it is just as much a part of who I am as I have brown eyes and a lisp. (laughs) 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 Um, I don't know. It's just something that I've always done. And the journey has really been, do I want to make that more organized? Do I want to make that not just be a static electricity sort of thing where it's, it's electricity that goes off in all different directions. Do I want to channel it? Do I want to produce a given thing? That might be just the only origin story that I have that I was that way. And that the grownups around me observed that I had a knack for it and said things like, you're going to have a book in the library one day which at seven, you agree and you assume if adults are saying it, that it must be a possible thing. For sure. Um, 
you later discover. <laughs> right. It actually is very complicated. And, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what does that entail? Right. Um, and then it's more complicated than the poster on the library wall that says, like, you can achieve anything you put your mind to. And you're like, oh, some things require the cooperation of the world and you can't achieve by pure will. You know? <laughs> right, right, right. You can't just strong on your way into it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But it just feels like it feels like who I am. And on any given day, the only question is, do I want to do that in an organized way or not? Do I want to do that in an organized way or not? I think that's so important. And that actually, that brings me to another question, which I'm super fascinated by, which is how are you making your writing process and your art creation sustainable? Like, how is that working? How does it like those 16 hours a day writing Exactly. I don't know. That's not sustainable. That's yes. <laughs> yes. Thank God. But you God. did it though. <laughs> I you did it. I did. And I am proud of it, but I hope to never do that. <laughs> right. 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 So yeah. What's yeah. this new kind of balance that you're finding? Yeah. Thank God for public schools. I love them. I love public school teachers. Woo. I'm very, very, thank you, public school teachers and staff and anyone who's listening. Um, <laughs> very grateful that my children can go to a place and I know that they're safe and cared for and learning and I'm able to do um, my own work again. Um, I think for art to be sustainable, I mean, the main thing is you need to be able to eat, right? Like, (laughs) well, that's the thing. Like, how do you, yeah. Yeah. Right. So I'm 42 now and it's taken until now that I can, honestly say that that writing is mostly my job and Mm. it's not even my job and that it's making that much money like I I couldn't rely I mean even this book the other day I was thinking how like if you were to boil this down to an hourly wage I tried to estimate (laughs) how many hours I've spent on this book over the years like divided by the advance I got from my publisher minus my agent's fee Uh and it works out to about 250 an hour before taxes wow I mean that's like what I made for babysitting when I first started babysitting at age 13. Like I could have just kept babysitting instead of written a novel. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So clearly this is not for money. So like, um, for me, the way it's financially sustainable is like, um, I spent a lot of years. My husband had a more lucrative career than me. He happened, my passion happened to be writing and his happened to be computer programming. Ah, perfect. (laughs) Yeah, right? So like for a lot of years, of course, like I still had to work. I did all kinds of, all kinds of jobs. I was a graphic designer. I was a, I did freelance stuff. I was um, a grassroots organizer. I did Mm. all kinds of stuff. So for many years, like I just worked alongside him to like pay the bills, pay the mortgage, while he invested in a very, in his career in a very focused way, Mm. it didn't feel fair at the time because at the time I was like, why do I have to squeeze in my work into all these little corners and you get a Mm. nine to five day and I'm doing all these like jobs I don't even enjoy so that we can in, you know, build a foundation of our home. Hmm. But now it, I think that's one advantage of having a partnered life, I suppose, is that having built the foundation together now I can focus on my work in a way that I haven't been able to for the past 20 plus years wow so Hmm. but that's only one way to do it there's a million ways that people find to like you know eat and make art 
Yeah. That was a really long answer to what makes art sustainable, but food is so important and have a place to live. No, it is. And that's why, yeah, I, I, I am very curious, like, what are the different ways that people do this? Because there's one mentality that I think is uh, unhealthy, which is like the starving, miserable artist. Like that's not what we're trying to get here. (laughs) We're trying to actually live like a pleasant life and also create art. So yeah. 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 But I think like, you know, figuring out what do I want to spend money on has helped make art sustainable. Mm. I don't, I've never wanted a fancy house. I don't want a fancy car. I'm really not into status symbols. I don't not like high fashion. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. like having, keeping my needs fairly simple helps make art sustainable. Exercise, physical exercise makes art sustainable. My brain, my brain works better when I'm like regularly taking walks or jogging or doing some yoga and I get better ideas. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Silence like helps make art sustainable. Um, like, which is hard to get again as a working mom, but it's, I think it's important to have periods of quiet Mm. where your brain can rest from all the noise and input. What else makes art sustainable? Again, creating whatever spaces we can. And again, I often despaired of that, like as a young working mom, because I'm like, this is impossible. Right. You just create the little spaces that you can at that time. And then maybe they get bigger over time. Hmm. Oh, Oh, most important. Okay. This is my here. This is actually one of my most important answers about what makes art sustainable is community. Um, okay. Is having a couple of friends. I think I tend to lapse into despair and discouragement. And that began to change when I got a couple of close friends who were also engaged in creative work Mm. that we started meeting on a on a weekly basis and just being like what are my goals this week what is my one simple step that I'm going to take I'm going to check back with you next week and you're going to ask me if I did it Ooh, um, so yeah so you got that accountability yeah and yeah. also the connection yeah that's great yeah or like I hit a creative problem help me brainstorm it um yes. or everything fell apart this week and you're there for camaraderie or you know, we would celebrate when one of us achieved a goal, when we published an article, when we got a photograph published, like that might be my number one answer after food and shelter. (laughs) After food is right. Basic needs and then community. Yes. Community. Wait, how do you find those people? Like it just takes a while. I'm assuming. So you know when it's the right person. This is very difficult for me. Yeah. So this was another wild story. So because the creative communities (laughs) I had were often, heartbreakingly temporary like in college I had Uh, it and it was marvelous but then you graduate yeah and eventually I went to grad school and it was marvelous but then you graduate and Uh, yeah and people are far away so there was one fall that I had gone to and my kids were I think two and six at that time I had gotten a weekend away to go to a writer's conference and it was glorious and blissful and I came home and I just felt so sad because I'm like, here I am living in suburban Long Island, and there's really not a lot of literary community around here. And I was feeling very lonely and despairing. And I was like, this is never, I'm never going to find anyone out here. So I was literally sitting at my desk while my two-year-old was like playing on the floor. And I'm like writing about how lonely I am and how Aww. much I need people. And right. I was like, we have to get out of the house. Yeah. So like threw some clothes on <laughs> and packed up my son and we went to the library because I'm like I have there are just moments when you're like things will be better if I leave my home oh for so sure. 
They had a little play. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, libraries are a great tip. What I'm about to say, and I'm sorry, a lot of what I've been saying is very mom centric, but it's just what my life is. So, but it's super logical listening or moms. Okay. And some Mm -hmm. of this is transferable, even if, even if you take out the mom stuff, it's Mm -hmm. still, if you're despairing, get out of the house and go to the library is a great tip. Yeah. Even if all you're doing is struggling with depression, like go sit in the library helps. Um, so we went there to the little play room that they have. Cause I was like, okay, here he can play with new novel toys that are exciting because uh-huh. they're not his. And uh-huh. I can write in my journal because he'll be otherwise occupied. Perfect. Right. We're yes. sitting alone in this room. <laughs> and then a little while later, two other moms walk in with their kids. And I was like, crap. Oh, <laughs> I hate when other moms walk. <laughs> Because now they're going to judge me that I'm not playing with my kids. Uh, <laughs> I'm neglectfully writing my journal instead of playing with my <laughs> Right, right. I love my son, but you can't play with your kids all the time. It's right. just it's tedious. So I was like, ugh, whatever. Today, I don't care. I'm writing my yeah. journal anyway. Yeah. So these two women start talking, and I'm like, I hope they don't talk to me because then moms <laughs> want to talk about, like, whatever. Oh, is he out of diapers yet? Or, like, right, right. what kind of sippy cup do you use? Or, like, what's on TV? I don't care. I don't – I just don't <laughs> care. I know that feeling so, so well. But then I'm, like, start kind of eavesdropping on them. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I realized they're talking about, like, film and photography and I was like, who are these people? And I'm I'm just eavesdropping and their kids are toddling around and they're also not playing with their children. They're talking about oh art. Oh. So I wanted to talk to them, but I didn't want to be a creeper. Right. And then the next thing you know, like one of them comes over and is like, um, hi, I'm sorry. Uh, is this yours or mine? And she holds up a travel mug lid. And I was like, not mine. And she's like, oh, ha, I think your son took it. And lo and behold, my son had gone and stolen her lid and just put it oh my on, gosh. Uh, on my table like a little UFO just sitting there. <laughs> and his thievery started like one of the most important friendships in my entire life. Um, wow. Because then we struck up a conversation and it turned out that they she had also been eyeing me because my tattoo was visible. And she's like, that doesn't look like the typical mom around here and right. those two women became um my kind of creative pod and you know well they actually became my actual like pandemic pod later but um yeah. they they I think there again is power in like writing stuff down sometimes um writing stuff down and then getting out of your house and yes yes yes, yes. like I'm never gonna say like I manifested those women or things like that <laughs> like I'm very I, I don't ever want to act like there's a magic formula to things but i think it is helpful to write stuff down so at least we know what we're looking for so then when it comes along you know then we recognize it yes i really really like that description of yeah i don't really like the word manifesting either because it sounds so magical yeah but i really like that of like defining what you want to look for so that you're open to finding it or open to accepting it yeah yeah, hmm. and then leaving your house because they don't walk and leaving your house. house. No one's just going to come up to your door and right knock on the door. Yeah, if they do, you're like, I don't want your tract, your religious tract, or buy <laughs> right. whatever you're selling. Like, yeah, right. yeah. So write it down and hmm. then leave your house. How about that? There's my tip. <laughs> Amazing, simplest, best life advice ever. I love it. And it does. Sometimes it takes a while. It's like going fishing, you know. But right. <laughs> I've never caught a fish in my life. Me neither. But I caught some ladies. I caught some creative ladies. That's so beautiful. 
Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. Did the kid? Do your kids hang out together? And- yes. Uh, yeah. And in fact, I guess this was your pod. Yeah. Yeah. Well, pre-pandemic, we were really raising them all together, and there was another. Oh, then wow. They they roped in another woman too, and for a while, the four of our families were really like a, a tribe. We had like eight kids among us, and wow. we were raising our children like cousins, and it was a really life saving thing. I think. I think people are really meant to live in community. This is how we were yeah. for tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. This like individual house thing is a very difficult thing for way to raise children. So the pandemic kind of blew that apart. So a few of us moved, it changed, you know, but for that, for a, a period of some years there, that saved my life. And it's part of the reason this novel is in print. For wow. sure. That's incredible. I'm fascinated by the, (laughs) I really would love to hear the story of like how you got this book deal during the pandemic. (laughs) What was that kind of process like? Sure. It was the weirdest. Everything about the process of writing this book has been weird from the beginning. I worked on it for many, many years. I had, it took me a long time to get an agent. Once I did finally get an agent, she and I worked together for a year and it was about to go out on submission. And then she got another job and wasn't my agent anymore. And I was back to square one. It was totally the right career move for her. I have no, had no ill will, but it was a, it was a tough thing to be sent back to square one. You know, I decided I just, I want to, I want to wish her well. And I sent her a card at her new job and she had worked, she'd gone to work for another literary agency just not being an agent anymore. She was doing contracts. And it was Janklow and Nesbitt in um, in New York City, which is possibly, it's one of the biggest literary agencies in the world. And it was just more room for expansion there. I sent her a card. I, I wished her well. You know, I, like we decided to keep in touch. Yeah. Some months down the line, that was in 2018, she texted me and just like, how's it going getting another agent? And I was like, Oh, terrible. (laughs) Because they all would say the same thing. They would say, I love this, love this idea for this book. I love your writing. I love your characters. I love, but it's not the right project for me. Ah, So it was lots of agents being very positive and saying, this is a great book, but I'm not the one for it. You know, Mm. it's like dating. Um, it is. So, um, Uh, you know, I, I said to her, I am getting a lot of near misses, but nobody is falling in love with it. Mm. So we got together for a glass of wine and she, this again, before the pandemic, this was early 2019. And she said, all right, so I've been working at Janklo for about six months now, and I've gotten to be friends with this agent. And he's all tattooed, and he's into heavy metal. Ooh. And his name is Chad. And- Amazing. <laughs> and Chad. would you like me to talk to him about your book? And I said, oh yes, I would. <laughs> so um, oh. Chad was interested in taking a look. And he was really on fire about the idea. He wanted to see some edits. So after about nine months of revisions, he and I became officially like partnered up. He's my agent signed on board. Okay. Amazing. I know this is a long story. No, but this it's is great. Like- <laughs> it's great. Cause this is the process. So it's like all about the nitty gritty stuff yes. that goes behind the scenes. So yeah. Yeah. And I think it's good yeah. for people to know because there's yeah. this idea that, you know, when I was younger, I thought like, Oh, it, I had been told at one point, if you write a good book, eventually you'll get an agent. It is so much more involved than that so you know even like I said even when Chad was interested in this idea he wanted to see more revisions it was nine months of edits before he said okay I am ready to represent this project right 
after that, we continued to do some more revisions together over that winter 2019, early 2020, got to a point where it was like really good and solid. Yeah. I sent him what felt like a really good polished draft uh, in, say, early March of 2020. And then, I don't know, wow. something or other happened. Does anyone remember <laughs> what happened in March of 2020? I don't. Um, oh, man. So, yeah, we basically polished that, finished polishing up this book during the pandemic, like with my kids underfoot. And when we finally felt like it was ready, happens to be in in the summertime. And it was um, sort of the last chance to start submitting it to editors at publishing houses before they all kind of go on vacation for the summer. And he, he just made a list of editors he thought would be into this book. And he did a fabulous job and he identified some great people, but I'm so grateful that he found Jeremy Orton at Pamela Dorman books and she loved the book. We loved her. Um, and it, that was just, it, it's amazing because for everything that took so long in the process of this book and the weird random ways that it fell apart in circumstances outside of my control so many times, this mm-hmm. felt like it was meant to be, I mean, within two weeks of him sending it out on submission, we had sold the book. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is yeah. impressive. Yeah. It it was uh wow. it was that was a real joy for sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing. Can I ask about like can I ask about the revision process? Yeah. So definitely. When you sent the book to Chad, the draft. Yeah. And he was like, All right, this is great, but it needs some edits. Like yeah. what was what happened after that in your world, in your writing yeah. world? That was a great and and interesting meeting. So mm. a funny thing that happened around that time is oddly the same week Chad said, this is great, but I'd love to see some edits. I was a little hesitant because I'm like, that's a big risk to, to put a lot of time into this mm-hmm. if you may not end up being my agent at the end. So I knew that was going to be a big gamble. Weirdly, coincidentally, that very same week, I was offered a publishing contact with an independent publisher. So, um, you know, an, an indie press that was like, we love this book. We want to publish your book. So I had this choice. Now I can go, I can go with a wonderful independent press and that'll be my definite for sure here. It's getting published or I can take a gamble and this agent may or may not take me on and then may or may not sell it to like a big five publisher. What do I want to do? So I met with him, we got lunch and I liked him so much in person. And I liked his ideas so much that I wanted to, I wanted to give it a try. And basically what he said to me was, I would like you to raise the stakes in this book. I I love this and I would like to see what would it look like if she took more daring risks? Mm. What would it look like if more was at stake for her? Can you can you raise the volume on the drama a little bit and on the suspense? And that was perfectly okay with me and I that challenge was that was an exciting challenge to me if he had said to me you know there are things about the soul of the book that I wouldn't have wanted to change but that just sounded like it was going to take the book I had and make it even better right so I from there went and just with kind of renewed energy creative energy like went and made a new outline for the book and I really thought about where is the extra baggage in the book that I can pull out that, you know, I may love that may give texture or detail or whatever, but is slowing down the story 
what can I make my character do that I would never dare to do in real life? Because I'm a, oh. I'm a, like I'm a goody two shes. I'm just gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> and I think my character is being cautious because I'm cautious. Mm, um, right. But I mean, in the spirit of taking this risk on this agent, it's like, all right, what can I? What could she do? So he had suggested, you know, could she, for example, take the risk of running off and trying a tattoo in, in New York City? Right. Um, so I I found a way to work that in. I threw in a hurricane. The I hurricane th- was awesome. <laughs> that was great. That, that was, was a yeah. real historic, actual hurricane that I found a way to put in the story. And Oh, that's so cool. I didn't realize it was yeah. a real one. Wow. Oh, yeah. That's a oh, real wow. I'd been working on this book for so many years before I realized, holy cow, this actually, the time period coincides with this. So how can I use that for dramatic action? So really what it looked like was reimagining, reimagining the the story and then Mm. executing it, which is a lot of work, but it was very worth it. Now, you know, it was worth it. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just so, oh man, just the way that you combine like ordinary moment to moment feelings and connections with these like larger belief systems and themes is like it's just so cool oh thank you it's really such an original book I really enjoyed reading it I would love to dive more into like yeah into the book itself one of the things that I was fascinated about, just like personally when I was reading the book, was how you described emotion in this like embodied mm. physical way. I'd mm. never really read emotion like that in a book, in like a novel. Yeah. And I was just curious how that connects, like where does that come from for you? Yeah, a couple of things. One is how do you make the reader feel something? And, you know, like the old adage of that every writing teacher says of show, don't tell, but also you have to tell a little bit, (laughs) Um, you know, but how do you not just say that she felt sad, but make the reader feel sad? Or how do you Mm. make them feel the sadness that, and when I sit and close my eyes and, and I, that's, I think maybe, I don't think I'm unusual in this, that I feel feelings in my body, you know? No, it's Um, not unusual. Yeah. I think like the way you were sharing it, was unusual to me thank you thank you I guess I thought what language can I put to that how do you know just how do I put that so I would close my Mm. eyes and imagine being her and I would feel um like at one point early in the in in one of the first chapters um her brother is suggesting that she move an hour away and she doesn't want to leave him and I remember closing my eyes and being like what does that feel like to her and it's like this twisting sensation under her ribs you know like it was just this uh um so I put it in because I thought maybe I'm not the only person who would experience it that way or maybe that's for you know I don't know emotions shows up in in funny ways in our bodies I am so fascinated by that process (laughs) like closing your eyes and actually feeling the feelings yeah, that's yeah. genius. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I I mean, I I feel like I feel like it might be less common than you think it is. Really? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, meditation and mindfulness and all that stuff has become like more popular recently, yeah. but it's often oh, I'm thinking something and I'm my emotion yeah. is a response to that and it's more like a mind thing. 
Yeah. The embodied thing I think is very true, but maybe we don't notice it as much. You, Sienna, you are correct because it's it's occurring <laughs> to me how you know I've heard meditation exercises or mindfulness exercises that will say like where does that feeling live in your body, right? And and specifically encourage the person to to be aware of where that is. But you're right; that's not we're often experiencing things that way, but not aware of it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, that's what. Yeah, and like I don't know. There's just a couple of a couple of places where this was like so. Gorgeous. I don't know how to read quotes, but I'm just going to read them. Like one of the places, let's see, let me actually go to it because I, I want to read it like the full thing. How long did she draw? An hour? More? Gina was in a trance, sketching the dip of Anna's waist for the fifth time when out of nowhere she was seized by joy. Her machine had been sabotaged, her mentor was distracted, her money was gone, but she'd taken back her day. Her socks were gritty with sand, and her eyes were watering in the wind, but she was close to euphoria. It's just like... Mm. <laughs> like, it's just so good! Thank um, you. Yeah, Thank like, you. seized by joy, and the fact that she, like, you, you add all these, like, physical sensations, but then the emotions, like, connected with that. I just think it's, like, really realistic in a way that I've never really read before. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. I think at some point during the writing or the revision, either someone who had read the book for me, because, you know, throughout the process, I would have a friend or writer friend read it and give me feedback. And mm -hmm. someone talked about the fact that she's a tattoo artist. They were encouraging me to make her more embodied. And I think that opened mm. a big door for me. And I'm like, oh, of course, like she works with the human body. It is such a tactile profession. She is working with her body on somebody's body. Um, she's you know, noticing, I tried to make her notice throughout the book, what, how people's skin looked, just the texture, the, the pigmentation, the, you know, um, but I think that was part of it too, of, of putting emotion in her body, because that's how she experiences the world through her job. Wow. That's so cool. I mean, there's so much in here, but I'm also really curious about this, um, like dogged feminism. <laughs> I don't know if you would use the word feminism, but I guess I want to I want to hear what, what you would say about her being a woman in this man's world. Yeah. There was a review that came out of this book this week in the magazine, The Common, and by the writer Susan Scarf Merrill. And I really, really appreciated what she said about feminism and regarding this book. And I'm going to steal a little bit of it for a minute because cool. what she observed is true. And I hadn't heard anybody else say it, that <clears throat> um, I think this this is a feminist book in that it like wholeheartedly. I mean, um, I am a feminist. Hell yeah. <laughs> you know, I think it's, it is a feminist book in that it argues that this young woman deserves to feel whole and be whole and do the work that she wants to do unimpinged by nonsense. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's a feminist book in that she's not just, and I mean, I think one of the rightful critiques leveraged against like white feminism as a whole the past few years is that oh it's only focused on the, the problems of you know the, those specific white women who are le leading the movement and mm. um i mean obviously that's a big that's sort of writ large that's not true of every white feminist and it was 
I think in the course of this book, she's not only thinking about her own um, wholeness and actualization. She's thinking about part of her development is thinking about the people around her and like, how is her Chicana coworker experiencing the racism in their town and how is their black client experiencing the racism in their town. And those are all woven into her. She's not just becoming aware of like, Hey, it sucks that no one listens to me. (laughs) She's like, also it sucks that no one listens to him and her and them. Um, Yes. But what I really liked about what Susan Scarf Merrill said in this review is she's like, it's a feminist book, but Gina is not thinking the word feminism is never mentioned. Gina's not right. thinking in those terms because right. in Gina's world, Gina doesn't have, she doesn't have access to higher education. She doesn't have someone schooling her and like, here's what's going on in the world. She's not, doesn't have access to, you know, read widely about what's going on. And honestly, she's just trying to pay the bills and get from day to day. She's right. just trying to survive and she's surrounded by people who are just trying to survive. So what this reviewer said is that Gina has like embarked on a feminist mission without realizing it. Yes. Um, and that's what makes it even more feminist. Yeah. And that she said yeah. that move, that movements, mm-hmm. it reminds us that movements are made up of individuals. Mm-hmm. And I really, really liked that because my Pamela Dorman books and Viking books, when they marketed this book, they marketed it as like a fun, feminist, uplifting um, coming of age story. Mm. And I don't disagree, but I worried that people would say, well, this is supposed to be a feminist book, but where's the theory and where's the critic, you know, the critique and why isn't it? And I'm like, I hope people realize that you can live a a feminist life without knowing all the lingo and the jargon and the, here's what I'm supposed to say or do in the movement, you know, that just by being present in a field that that's enough. Makes sense. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so empowering. The other, like, just as you were talking about how she's thinking about, like, the people around her as well as herself, yeah. and she's learning how to think about that. I loved that in the book, it was, you showed her learning that. It wasn't just like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm already worried about, like, Rick is the Chicano coworker. Right. I'm right. already worried about him because I can see he's experiencing racism. It was more right. like he had to explain and show her. And then she was like, oh, my God, now I see. So it was this right. learning process that I think was really helpful to for me to read. Um, it wasn't just all of a sudden she's magically thinking about everyone else. And I worried that people would be um, irritated by that, by mm. going with her through the process of her own growing awareness. But I'm like, ah, but that's just truthful to how yeah. humanity is. That's we're not all born knowing everything, you know, you're, exactly. you're born and you grow up and first and foremost, you're just trying to get by. And then slowly as you come out of your childhood and adolescence, you start to become more aware of what life is like for the people around you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. yeah, I just, I guess tried to write the most truthful book I could and, yeah. And it felt like it was more relatable because of that. Well, good. I'm to me. glad. Yeah. Good. So I personally have gotten my undergrad degree and it was in an artistic field. It was in music. And I know that you got your MFA. So yeah. I'm really curious, like, what made you decide to get that? Yeah. What did it do for you, for your life? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. 
So for many years, I was like, I am not getting my MFA. <laughs> I am going to, I graduated, you know, I studied writing and literature in college and uh-huh. I was like, now I'm going to go out. I'm going to work whatever jobs, the simplest possible jobs I can to get the most possible writing time. I'm going to go get life experience in the world. I don't want, I don't want more writing school. I want mm-hmm. to be a writer now. And you know, that I think went as well as it could in living in a, where I fell short was knowing that I needed community. And that was the problem. I think this might have worked if I was living in New York City, as opposed to two hours out on Long Island, Um, or if I was living in some other area with like a hop and creative scene. I, it became discouraging to continue to do that work in isolation. So I was doing all the other stuff you're supposed to do. I was reading widely. I was writing in a disciplined way. I was building, honing my craft. I was like all of that stuff, but that missing ingredient of community, somebody else doing the same kind of work, which just in itself affirms that what you're doing is worthwhile was Mm. the missing ingredient. And I was about ready to give up on writing and um, go back to school and become a social worker. Um, Really? Yeah. Because I was like my, I felt like my life had like, what is the meaning and purpose of my life? What am I here on Mm -hmm. earth to do? Mm -hmm. Um, like you said, the art of being, what is yeah. this, what am I going to do with this life I have? So, um, in a, I, in a coincidence, as often happens to me, <laughs> and this is how my life changes. I ran right. into an old professor of mine and she was like, here's what you should do. Apply to, I went to Bennington college and she's like, apply to the writing seminars. Um, and, I I had done work for that program for many years as a like an oh. office gopher. Oh, interesting. I used to, oh, it was wonderful. It's a low residency program. You go twice a year in January and June wow. for these intensive 10-day residencies. The rest of the year you correspond with your teachers. And in my early 20s, I had had the fantastic deal of just working at the residencies. I'd make the copies, sharpen the pencils, yeah. do administrative stuff. And in exchange for that, get room, board, $500, and get to listen to all the lectures. Oh, my All gosh. the lectures and reading. So for That's 10 amazing. days, I would work and listen to lectures and reading. So I had never wow. thought of actually doing this program. Right. I'm like, I make the photocopies. Who am I? I'm not in this program. She was like, <laughs> apply for this program. Hmm. And I did. And it was life-changing for me. Mm. And one of the ways that it was most life-changing was it reinvigorated my sense of community. And I was reimmersed in a community of people who felt like this was a worthwhile to do, thing to do. We're yeah. similarly making the ridiculous choice to devote part of their life to writing. Right. Um, it was a huge financial risk and I, that was very frightening and it's, I don't think most MFAs pay for themselves. It's not about the money. Yeah. 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 I, gosh, I love that program. But there's other ways I could have gotten there other than MFA. I that was useful in lots of ways. I made lots of great relationships. It was glorious. But I don't think an MFA or grad school is the only way to get that shot in the arm reinvigoration. There's right. cheaper ways to do it too. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Very yeah. very helpful. I was just connecting what you were saying about the MFA back to what you were saying about how your growth as an artist has been really about how am I going to structure or organize this drive? Yes. And that was a way to do it. Spot on. Exactly. Exactly. That, and that program, any MFA program 
that's one of the things that it offers is structure. People are like, I'm paying yeah. for the structure. I can't squander the structure. And I can't the challenge, squander the structure. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. And, and then the challenge yeah. is when you graduate, how are you going to create that structure on your own? Mm-hmm. And some people do and some people don't, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And either way is okay. Hmm. Okay. So now we can zoom out a little bit more. And cool. I'm just curious. We've, we've really touched on this a lot, but what keeps you motivated to continue to create art to continue to write yeah it makes me feel alive it helps me process the world I think some of us are born with like a lot of uh even involuntary observational powers (laughs) like Mm. noticing things all the time and picking up on information and all sorts of stuff all the time and what do you do with it all and how do you make sense of it all and um, writing helps me process it in a way that is possibly also useful for other people, which is very gratifying for me. I like to write essays that I think will also be beneficial to other people and in, in just being like, here's my human experience and how I made sense of it. And it's really wonderful to hear people say, yes, you put words to something I was trying to make sense of too. Yes. So that is a motivation for me, just pure, like keeping my head the house cleaning down in my head Um, right (laughs) for the novel the motivation I think just came from pure obsession for like (laughs) I just can't I don't know how to I tried to give that novel up like three times and over the course of many years and it always came back to me in some weird way so obsession was a motivation for that particular project and keeping promises to myself but on the regular it just brings me pleasure I like to make things feels good. You make a thing and then you look at it for a a thing and you're pleased with it. And you listen to that piece of music. Like you listen to that recording of that because I'm a musician too, you know, and like you record something and like you listen, you're like, Oh, that's nice. Right. That was like, that's nice. You know, or (laughs) make a piece of art or read a thing and like, be like, Oh, look at that. Yeah. Satisfying. I love the simplicity of that. You know, it doesn't have to be more complex than that. Feels good. Feels good. Feels good. It's fun. You had a question on your list about, does it matter if people care? Yes. And I loved that question. It's a poignant and beautiful and emotional question. And for me, the answer was, I'm not even going to try to be a cool kid. It doesn't matter. It does matter. For me, it matters. It matters Mm. if people care. And when I make a thing, I'm often thinking about the person who will be on the receiving end of it and like, what kind of experience do I want to give them? Uh, you know, what am I giving them a break from their life? Am I giving them a place to re-encounter their life in a different way? Am I creating a sacred space for them? Like, am I giving them comfort? Am I making them laugh? Like it's a, I mean, it's like, I mean, speaking of lovemaking, you know, it is a very like both self-centered and other centered kind mm. of interaction. Ooh. Yeah. 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 There's a motivation for making art lust. Yeah. that is something I've never heard but I I have felt that in my body like so many times and I really really love that word to describe it that's great yeah that's great lust hell yeah I think for me it does matter if people care as well because otherwise it's just I'm making something in a vacuum and it doesn't, I don't know, the meaning comes from the relationship that's formed between the the listener and the creator or the reader and the creator. 
Yeah, there's a quote I always remember from the poet Liam Rector, and he talked about affecting the communion between writer and reader. And that goal of a communion between like the creator and the person who's receiving the art, that's a, mm, that's electric. Yes. Oh my gosh. So true. This might have something to do with that, but this hold fast, yeah. the hold fast phrase that kind of pops up throughout the book. Can you just talk a little bit about what that means to you? I can. Yeah. So I'm a real focused, obsessive kind of person. Like I'm, um, I am stubborn. I will keep going on something for ridiculous amounts of time. Like I will just feel like I can muscle through, you know, like I find it very hard to let go of a thing once I've gotten mm. fixated. On it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and holding fast. I mean, so in the book and in tattoo lore, hold fast is, you know, the, ta- the letters that sailors would get tattooed on their knuckles to remind them to keep gripping the rigging so they don't fall off and die on the boat, you know, like hold, <laughs> right. I mean, sort of a joke, like as if yeah. you're going to look up there and look at your knuckles right. and be like, yes, keep holding <laughs> Hold fast. <laughs> like a woman in childbirth looking at your knuckles, like push, push. I don't right, know. right. So it's a sort of classic tattoo, you know. But for me and for my character, it's been really important to learn the art of also opening your hands. Mm. And in the book, Gina's friend Rick talks to her about another concept, which is sine proprio which is a Latin phrase that means without grasping. Mm. And basically I straight up just gave Rick a life experience I had that I used to be friends with Franciscan friars. And um, one of them told me about this concept as, as a vow that Franciscan friars take. And it's the words for their vow of poverty, like Mm. sine proprio. And it's funny because it doesn't translate to without money. It's without grasping. So whatever Mm. comes into your hands, you can just as easily let it go out of your hands. You don't have to throw it away but you can let it be there lightly. And I need to remember that for a lot. I needed to remember it with this novel as a goal in terms of like, what can I hold fast to? I can hold fast to this process. I can continue to create the sacred space of my writing practice. I have to hold lightly the hope that it will be published one day. I can work toward it, but I cannot allow it to like possess me. So this kind of, balance between like hold fast and then sine proprio without grasping is important to me. So it became Mm. important to my character too. Yeah. Oh man. Well that, I feel like that's a really good place to stop for, I mean, I I could just keep going forever. So I think legit, I feel like I could get like, we should be out to dinner. (laughs) We, we yeah. I'm loving talking to you. Me too. I really like, I just appreciate your honesty so much and your openness and your wisdom and just thank you for making the time to talk with me (laughs) and also yeah we can definitely hang out when you're in rochester i would love that um i'm laughing about the wisdom part i mean wisdom is like (laughs) wisdom's what happens when you make enough mistakes and pay attention (laughs) Ooh, wait is that a you quote or is that a quote from someone else it just pops into my head so either i made it up or someone said it once right But but yeah, wait. Wisdom is what happens when you make enough I, mistakes and learn from them. Is that no? I, I no. said maybe wisdom is what happens when you make enough mistakes and pay attention. Oh, and pay attention. <laughs> like you notice you made them. I'd right. Be like, right. Oh, well. Hmm. I mean, yeah. It's it's 
kind of hilarious. I feel like wisdom. Didn't the Buddha go through this whole life thing, like where he was gambling and he was having sex uh, and he was, he, you know, I feel like it is something that you come to after just. Yeah. Fucking up yeah. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not that you have. I don't actually know if you have, but. <laughs> well, you know. I know I have. Least I've, at the very least, I've hooked up with a lot of art projects. <laughs> i love it okay we're done that's it <laughs> no, I, I never know how to close these things because it's just like we just had an amazing conversation and now i'm just saying goodbye so always feels namaste. weird i like that <laughs> what is it the the what is it the, the light within the light you. in me sees the light in you sees the yeah. light in you and that's true yeah. Sienna, that is true. The light in me sees the light in you today. This Same. is so life-giving and joyful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. Your support makes these conversations possible. So if you want to hear more episodes like this, don't forget to leave a review, share this episode with a friend or family member, and join me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Sienna Process for exclusive content. To check out June Gervais' novel, Jobs for Girls with Artistic Flair, head to the show notes and click on the link there. Thank you, and I hope you have a beautiful day. The Process is presented by Rochester Groupcast. Produced, edited, and mixed by Sienna Facciolo. Our theme music is written and performed by Sienna Facciolo, Chris Palace, and Jordan Rabinowitz, featuring Sally Louise on guitar. Mixed by Chris Palace, mastered by Jet Galindo. See you next month. Sending hugs.